I don't think a lot of people realize how the senior games helps. I mean, you know, my kids are grown. They don't need me. And this gives me an opportunity to have a lot of fun and not be sitting at home alone. And that's true of so many of us and and in all the sports, especially after people retire. But I think the biggest category is in the 70s now, because once they've retired, they can play all these games. I see. So it gives you all of this opportunity. Oh, the 70s is much tougher than the 50s. Because really? the 50s are still working. Oh, yeah. I did not yeah. know that. Oh, numbers-wise, it's just thousands of people who are older. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with fascinating change makers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about this podcast, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. While you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at our guests and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on the show. Find out more at judybanker.com. And our technical director is Stephen Litweiler. My guest today, Alice Tim, played at Wimbledon five times, limo and strawberries included. She began her tennis career before Title IX was enacted, when women athletes were not supported by their universities and had to organize their matches and transportation on their own. At 79, Alice is a gold medal winning pickleball player who says pickleball is a way to keep active and avoid loneliness. To say she is sassy is like saying the sun is hot. Funny, body, and a straight shooter, Alice says that at this age you can either talk about your bowels or hit a ball. I had the great privilege of joining Alice for dinner at the National Senior Games this past spring in Fort Lauderdale. Enjoy Alice's irreverent humor and zest for life. So this idea of what what did you say staying alive when you're old or being alive when you're old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like with the Title IX stories, you know, I'm I'm in demand because I'm still alive to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um We'll talk about, you know, you, you've told me some of the stories about hitchhiking alone as a young woman when you were on the tour. We, we can talk about that, but uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing for Title IX. Well, you know, NSGA did a, did a, a segment. Did you see that? I didn't. The, no, tell me. The, Oh, Del Moon put it together. It really was very good. It was with Catherine Switzer, you know, the woman oh, that was I've yanked out of the her. Boston Marathon. Yes. I also did a webinar on Title IX 
uh, for a school, for a university, because so many young people that are in the university now, they don't realize that women didn't have an opportunity. You know, they just take it for granted. And so it was part of a history um, study for them. And that was kind of interesting. Now, uh, tell us, tell me about your particular experience with Title IX, because you've had personal experience before Title IX uh, got passed. Well, that's really the thing. Since I started before Title IX, then I coached during Title IX. So Mm -hmm. in the beginning, uh, you know, there were no sports for girls at all. And so when I went to the University of Florida, I started the women's tennis team. Really the way women had an opportunity to be trained was through sororities. Sororities gave them a chance for leadership. And at the University of Florida, the the biggest deal in the sorority was an intercollegiate, I mean, an an interfraternity council sports award with all the different sports. And then there was this huge trophy. So I met the players from the other sororities And that's how I put together the team. That's how I found the players to put together a team. You know, Rita Mae Brown, for example, she was on my team, the author. And uh, Rita Rubinoff, whose brother, I think, played with McEnroe. uh, There were some good players on our team and put it together. But, of course, we didn't have a coach. We didn't have uniforms. One of the phys ed teachers drove the station wagon. And that gave us... The opportunity. See, Florida was a men's university oh. and Florida State was a women's university. I see. And they had recently integrated just before I came. So there was 75% or 78% of the student body was male. So Florida State already had a team. Rollins had a team. Stetson had a team. Miami had a team. But, but it wasn't part of the NCAA. And, and so anyway, I started the team and, and played before Title IX, but the USTA had women's tennis, but it was completely separate from education. You know, there were still women's tournaments. And then I went to Europe my sophomore year in, high school, in college and started really playing the tour. And then you were on the WTA? That was before the WTA. Wow. It was oh, it was Billie Jean King yeah. and Margaret Court era, and there was no real organization. Um, there really wasn't a men's pro organization yet either, because mm-hmm. labor had just split and gone on the with Gonzalez and gone on the men's pro tour. But there wasn't equal money, for but sure. there wasn't a lot of money for anybody. So what was the, the sort of the feeling like with the other women? Um, was there a sense that, you know, we got to do something? Was there just an acceptance? This is the way it's always been. What was the kind of the, the feel? Are you talking collegiately or, or the world tour? Uh, let's start collegiately. Collegiately. I think it depended on your personality. And I would say the majority of people, accepted the way things were and didn't really want to make a change. That's why I like Gandhi's quote so much to be the change you wish to see in the world, Mm -hmm. because I don't think it's up to somebody else. And it certainly wasn't up to somebody else in my case. You know, I felt it was up to me to start the team and, and, and play. I wanted to play tennis. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't any basketball. There was, and of course, this was all at the same time of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. There were no black students at the University of Florida when I went. And, and so civil rights and women's rights kind of paralleled at yes. that time. That's that's right. And uh, I mean, I guess you could say it benefited everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there again, like Rita Mae Brown supported civil rights and the University of Florida threw her out of school. So if you if you did support these things, you risked problems. But then if you didn't, it would never have happened. So how did your family feel about you being a bit of a outspoken athlete? Well, you know, people don't believe this, uh, how different it was. But without cell phones, I was 962 miles away from home. My parents didn't know what I did. I did not call my parents in four years of undergraduate school because it was long distance and my dad thought it was too expensive. So once my parents sent me to school, I was 17 years old and it was up to me to make my own decisions. And it right. And in high school, you were obviously playing. I wasn't allowed to play. There were no sports and I wasn't allowed to be on the men's team. So I had to play on the public, you know, uh, public park courts. And I did. I did. I mean, I had the opportunity to play, but there was no coach. There was no support from the school whatsoever. So how did this work? You just you discovered you loved the game, you and you wanted to excel. So you found other people to hit balls with you. Well, there were plenty of players, and you know because all the guys had a team. And interestingly enough, I lived two blocks from Bradley University, and there were Bradley Park courts mm-hmm. and the basketball teams. This was a time of Oscar Robertson and and. Uh, NIT basketball for Bradley and they would have the the basketball players like Billy Joe McDade Joe Joe Billy McDade Bobby Joe Mason they would have them come down and work on their footwork by playing tennis and so there were plenty of people to play tennis you know play tennis with but it was outside of school and then would and, you, were you, uh, were there any tournaments or anything? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There were tournaments. So you could, oh, yes. The you USCA could, you could play. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, women were included in sports. They just, it just, it took a law to force schools to allow women to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then you did your, you you did your undergrad work, but then midway through you went to Europe? Every summer. I, and Florida was on a trimester system. Okay. So I'd take a lot of courses and then I'd have the four months of the summer to play. And I would immediately fly over to Europe. You know, Wimbledon is in June. So I'd fly over for Wimbledon and then I would stay in Europe. And did you, and, and who would you stay with? I mean, how, how did this, how did well, this work? <laughs> that's where I was incredibly lucky because tennis, you know, now it's entertainment. They have an entourage. They got this and they got that. But in those days, we all traveled together. The men's team and the women's, I mean, the men's players and the women's players were all together mm-hmm. and we would get housing. So we didn't have to pay anything. They would feed us at the club every day. So it didn't cost anything to play. But 
in Pan American Airways had a ticket around the world for $1,250. So when, after I graduated, I would buy a ticket and I would start in Chicago. And you had to make progress 52 weeks in one general direction. So I would fly from Chicago to Los Angeles, to San Francisco, to Honolulu, and then to Tokyo, Hong Kong, and then drop down for the Australian circuit, then come back up and come through. Actually, I, I was in Afghanistan and Iran, and then you'd move into, I played the Israeli circuit. Then you'd come into Europe and I'd play all over Europe. You know, you'd play the Italian championships and the French championship, Monte Carlo, and then Wimbledon. And then you could drop down and play the circuit in Africa, or I could fly back to the United States, play the U.S. championships, drop down, play the Caribbean championships, come back up to Chicago, buy another $1,250 ticket and start it over for 52 more weeks. And it was terrific. Had, you had to be in your early 20s. Oh, yeah, I was I first started at 18, but that was only for the four months. I didn't I didn't play until I graduated. I didn't play 12 months a year until I graduated. And so you were with this group of women tennis players and men and men. And, men. and the thing is, I mean, I traveled on the trains and the planes and all with the guys. They were like kind of your buddies and like a brother, you know, to yeah. kind of protect you and look yeah. after you. Because, yeah. I mean, there were some sketchy places, you know, I am. And, and so we all traveled together. We rode the trains and then I got to know all those guys as well as the girls. And are you still in touch with some of them? Oh, I still my my good friend in Australia that I played for my first qualifying for Wimbledon is still one of my best friends. Uh -huh. And so some I have lost track of, you know, and language is difficult because uh -huh. not a lot of Americans did it. It was mostly overseas players. Of course, the Australians spoke English, uh -huh. but it was fun. And they're still friends. I still go back to Kenya every every chance I get. I haven't been able to with COVID, uh -huh. but um, I still stay with the same people I stayed with in 1965. Uh -huh. What a beautiful uh, opportunity tennis gave you oh it was incredible I mean I can't thank tennis enough it was a fantastic life and a man and sometimes you know I stayed in like the palace hotels and in, in Switzerland and you know sometimes I played stayed in places that were nine bucks a week you know it just <laughs> It was just terrific. I did. I really stayed in a place. It was nine dollars. Oh, a week. my goodness. And your parents, again, with the communication. Not I didn't so talk to my parents for 52 weeks. I mean, I wrote them letters, but, you know, there weren't phones like there are now. Right. Could they watch your progress on the tour? At well, all? sometimes it was televised, you know, like. Morocco was televised. Mm -hmm. There were some places that were, of course, Wimbledon was and all mm -hmm. that. But, you know, for the most part, you were li it was it was kind of that movable feast of Hemingway's. You know, you were on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you were with a whole bunch of people who wanted to party and have fun. You know, the Australians, you danced every night, you ate dinner in the club, you met kings and queens and all the people who ran these countries. It was terrific. And I did a State Department tour where I went all, all over Latin America to, as a goodwill tour for tennis. And that was great fun. I mean, there were lots of opportunities, but none of them 
had to do with with education, you know, and they and until Title IX. Mm-hmm. Were you a, a singles and doubles player? In those days, you played everything, singles, doubles and mixed. Mm-hmm. And there again, it gave you opportunities to get to know, like I, I won the Canadian Nationals with Owen Davidson from Australia. So you had an opportunity to get to know people from all over the world. And then they would speak to their federations. Like I played, I played women's doubles with Anna Dmitrieva and she was Russian. Then she would speak to the Russian Federation about inviting me and having me come over there. Interestingly enough, we could be real good friends in behind the Iron Curtain, but they always had a guard and we couldn't talk to each other. Like in Paris, we couldn't talk. But if I was in Yugoslavia, then it was fine because if you were behind the Iron Curtain, they didn't think that she would defect. I see. And she, she wasn't going to defect anyway. They just weren't smart enough to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So it's just so interesting. What, did you come from a big tennis family? Not really. My mother had been a, a ballerina and had toured Europe. Um, but my, my parents, my father, I wanted to play baseball and my father didn't think it was ladylike. And one time Maureen Conley, who had won Wimbledon, little Mo had won Wimbledon and came and gave to Peoria, Illinois, gave a clinic at Bradley park. And my dad took me and I took one look at her and I said, that's what I want to be. And I never looked back. What was it about her that was so captivating? She was just, she was a fantastic player. She was little, like she was five feet tall. So I could relate to that. I mean, now tennis players are huge, but in those days she was just fantastically good and put on this clinic. And many years later, when I was coaching, I was in Miami and they asked, they needed somebody to give a clinic with her. And I had the opportunity to tell her Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was just fantastic. And you said to her, it's because of you. I I mean, she changed my life. Mm. And you know that that um, she died very young. Did she? I think she was 30 something. And then uh, and she had two daughters. And I had a chance to tell her daughters, I, I ran, I think it was the Southern Championships or something. And I had a chance to tell her daughter. What you thought of her mom. Oh, she was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're talking about more than just her strokes and her, her technique. Was there something about her as a woman that well, admired? I mean. I think you really appreciate the people who give back. Mm. I mean, tennis has a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> mm. I know about Pam Shriver is very involved in the autistic community. I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, she does a good job commentating. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize she was, but I mean, those, those are really good things that people do. And, and tennis sports, all sports offer that opportunity mm-hmm. for people to really participate and, mm-hmm. and do good things. Yes. When did you start getting involved in the senior games? Well, 
I, you know, I had three children Mm -hmm. and my kids all played a lot of sports. So I basically took care of kids and watched their games for 25 years. And I was in a sporting goods store and uh, there were table tennis paddles. And and this woman named Yvonne Stevenson said, why don't you come play table tennis with us? And I can't remember how old I was, but you have to be 50. So I, yeah. I was, I guess, pushing 60. And um, and so I went to play and, and the gym, they had table tennis and they had badminton. And then eventually they had pickleball. So I just play them all because it's so much fun. And, you know, now that my children are grown, I'm back on the circuit. You know, I mean, I, I'm playing all these tournaments and traveling. I mean, I played pickleball in uh, Italy and Germany and uh, where so else do we play? Like Spain. It's like a oh. re, it's like a redo. Oh, absolutely. Back on the uh-huh. circuit again. Back I mean, it's so much circuit. fun. I love it. And, you know, I have all these friends and we all travel together and we, you know, just have a wonderful time. Oh my gosh, Alice, that sounds like a blast. You know, we have pickleball at our, um, and I used to play platform tennis. In oh, platform's fabulous. Isn't oh, it? it's fabulous. But it's hard to find a platform tennis court. Well, I think like in New England, you know, Yale had, Yale, a lot of people around Yale had, had platform courts. Mm-hmm. And then I think in Virginia, they play. And I think in the Chicago area, but it it matters where you live because it was really popular in New England. Oh, I love it. I'm sure it's a lot cheaper to maintain because it's just wood, right? And then painted with the same, like it's, it's. Well, but they have heaters, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. on the platform itself, they heat it because there's so much snow in New England. I they see. turn on the heaters and then you can play. Yeah. And yeah. So uh, that's what I used to play in high school. Oh, that's fun. And uh, yeah. So you discovered you discovered table tennis and you told me earlier you were a little uh, disappointed you couldn't play four sports at the game. Well, the senior games only let you play two. So I can't play badminton this year and I'm Uh, so upset, but they just, you know, they won't change. I keep asking. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you, how does the, how does badminton work? Do you, uh, you have a partner that you're always playing with? Yeah, she's British and she's good. And she's coming out? No, well, she's playing, but I had to get her somebody else because I couldn't play three sports. But now in the state, I can play three sports. It's only nationals that restricts you. Okay, okay. What's it like for you going to the national games? What's what's the vibe like for you? Well, I, I think once you've been and you have all these friends, it's just terrific. I, I mean, you know, we all meet and have dinner and room together. And, you know, it, it's a wonderful connection. I don't think a lot of people realize how the senior games helps. I mean, you know, my kids are grown, they don't need me. And this gives me an opportunity to have a lot of fun and not be sitting at home alone. And that's true of so many of us and, and in all the sports, I mean, the other thing is it's really multicultural because, you know, badminton is primarily Asians. Ah, so you get to have a, you know, learn Chinese and Indian and Pakistani and Laotian and, and a whole different cultural experience. There are a lot of Chinese that play table tennis. 
Yes. And, you know, for the Huntsman games, they come over from Europe. So the Germans come, the Swedes come, and you have that opportunity to see from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And pickleball is primarily American, but we've gone over there and played. So I, I don't know anybody who hasn't really benefited by the senior games and they run it correctly. They do it by age. So you don't get thumped by somebody 20 years younger, you know, mm -hmm. like in pickleball. Now they don't recognize age and, and oh, the senior games great. does. No, <laughs> you don't want to be playing somebody 30 years old. No, that's, that's so, the thing. I, I, I don't know if it's because they don't have enough players, but they don't ask for your rating. So you can get thumped, even though you're the oh. same age. <laughs> well, and I mean, the rating is all made up anyway. So you can rate yourself whatever you want to be. So that's okay. bogus. Okay. And then when you play doubles, there's no rating for doubles. I always say if I were playing Roger Federer and they hit every ball to me, then they rate Roger. I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you go for the, the whole time and do you go and, and, and watch other events? Well, it depends on the schedule, but they don't tell you the schedule early enough. So this year I have to spend three weeks because I have pickleball the first week and then table tennis towards the end. Mm -hmm. But I do cover it for Pickleball Magazine. So I, I, I don't mind being there a little bit So because yeah. I write the articles and I enjoy that. So you'll be in, um, you're staying in uh, Fort Lauderdale? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've got a whole bunch of people that are going to have fun down there. That's great. What hotel are you going to be at? I should come. I up. can't remember. I, uh, uh, it's one near the airport. Okay, and they're the because I couldn't get anything reasonably priced anywhere close. They wanted like three hundred and fifty bucks oh, for the one at the Civic Center. Um, the so uh, we'll be playing. Uh, well, not the pickleball, but the tennis will be on the Jimmy Everett courts. Oh, it will. Yeah, at, at Holiday Park. Yeah, you're kidding. That's what oh, I understand. Goodness. Oh, and, that's exciting. And they have clay courts there and a backboard yeah. and all of that. I played there in 1960. I think I played Chris Everett there. Wow. Isn't that something? Oh, it it, it was a beautiful play. I mean, it was a big tennis center yeah. way back when. Yeah, that's right. So in terms of women who are over 50 um, who have you know, maybe they played sports in school and college or a little bit uh, here and there. What would you tell them about getting involved in the senior games? Oh, we, you know, I'm an ambassador for Huntsman. I, I tell everybody that they should be in the senior games. I mean, it, it is incredibly fun because you can pick any sport. You know, we're, we're going to play cornhole this year. <laughs> in, this, in the senior <laughs> games <laughs> and so we've got to go out and practice I mean it doesn't matter what sport you play yeah and I always do the track and field and I've found that there's such a different mentality you know the people that play track and field the people that play table tennis there's a completely different mentality and you you learn a lot about sports that you didn't have a chance to compete in I mean I never threw the javelin until I was like 65 or 70 uh -huh. but I've learned a lot to be able to appreciate the Olympics um 
in, in things in which I really am not, you know, trained to do. So there's, and they're all fun. Mm. And the people in track and field are really good sports. Uh Aha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very interesting, the character. The, you know, I found like even in Cortland at the Empire Games and also Albuquerque, there's such a vibe there of enthusiasm and um, joy. It's hard to, it's even hard to describe the, the sense of community. And supporting each other is, is terrific. And, you know, some of the people have had health problems or they've, you know, there's travel issues, there's all kinds of things. And I, I find that people are really very supportive. They're also really competitive and not everybody is terrific, but, (laughs) but I, you know, but I, I think for the most part, people appreciate one another and the effort that everybody makes. Mm. Are you training a lot? Um, is that something that's part of your, your daily life or? I think you have to. Okay. And, and I'm not a person who exercises for my health or anything like that. I just like to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today's Wednesday. So it's table tennis, mm-hmm. you know, tomorrow is pickleball. Mm-hmm. Friday, I chainsaw, you know, every day there's something. I'm sorry. Did you say chainsaw? Yes. Yes. Can you, I run can you a farm tell me what and, that means? Well, we run a farm. And so we've got to, got to, I have a guy who helps me and he can do Fridays. So Friday, that's special. But all the other days I do something in the sport department. Mm-hmm. But that's another thing about the senior games. It does get people much more active than they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could play table tennis every single day here. Mm-hmm. And pickleball every single day, mind you. It's, if it rains, we have to go indoors, and so it's more restricted time-wise. But just think of all the people that wouldn't be doing anything, you know, mm-hmm. product, especially after people retire. But I think the biggest category is in the seventies now, because once they've retired, they can play all these games. I see. So it gives you all of this opportunity. Oh, the seventies is much tougher than the fifties. Because really? the 50s are still working. Oh, yeah. I did not yeah. know that. Oh, numbers that. wise, it's just thousands of people who are older. That's what they want to do. They want to be on the court. Yes. That's and you know, with thing. tennis, I mean, remember Dodo Cheney? She was still competing in her 95s. So, I mean, it becomes a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, we've got a match against a, a team down in Jasper, Georgia. And I, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it just has brought so much depth. It sounds like to your life. So many parts. Oh, oh absolutely. The social, absolutely. the active, the learning, um, the reason to get up in the morning. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, and, and I'm not the only one. There's a whole crowd that thread dings at six o'clock in the morning about who's going to play where. Mm, that's so great. Yeah, that's I have that on my uh, text. It's always about who's playing, who can play, you know, and uh, especially when the weather gets nicer. Yeah. And tennis is a little more restrictive because you tend to pick your the people that you want to play in the group. But table tennis is a little bit more open 
and pickleball is a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. So you can always get a group at any time of day or night. You know, we made, I made sure when they built the courts that they lighted them. Great. So we That's- can play at night. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh, wow. It's so, so fun to talk to you, Alice. And it's so exciting. You know, I look at people at the courts here in upstate New York, and I think I hope that I am still hitting balls, even though I won't be diving for them. You know, (laughs) that's where, you know, if it all ends on the court, that's fine with me. But see, you don't need to hope. You have to make it happen. Yes. I mean, that's that's the big difference is that it's really up to you to support the game. So I am so grateful to be able to finally see you and and ask you some questions about your phenomenal life and and what the future holds for you. Um, I'll go ahead and send you all my contact information. I'm going to edit this and send it, send you a link and um, and send it to Dell as well. Hey, thanks a bunch. Thanks I a appreciate lot. it. We'll see you soon. Oh, okay, Alice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.